Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. And with training camp starting today for the Warriors and Timberwolves, the official kickoff of the 2017-18 NBA season, I think you'll enjoy this conversation with the great Sam Amick from USA Today. We talked about Kevin Durant's Twitter, Twitter drama this week, what's ahead for the Oklahoma City Thunder this season, Kyrie Irving's new home in Boston, LeBron James potentially chasing another MVP award, and what's next for LaMarcus Aldridge in the Spurs. So with that, let's get to Sam. All right, Sam, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, training camp starts tomorrow, uh, kind of incredibly uh, for us. I'll see, I'll see you uh, at Warriors Media Day. Um, where, where is the summer gone? I know. I mean, <laughs> yes and no, right? Like, where is it gone? I kept telling people, you know, in the daily, daily life and our, on our street and friends and family, like last summer, as you know, Jeff Zilgit and I, my colleague at USA Today, had covered the Olympics in Rio. So it like cut this huge chunk out of the summer. It sped up the entire off season. And, and right. in that regard, this summer was much, much different conceivably, you know, with more time to breathe, but it didn't always feel that way. I mean, just storyline after storyline and fireworks from July 4th all the way through to media day and training camp. And here we go again. Yeah, it really is. It really is pretty remarkable. Um, you know, let, let's start with the Warriors and specifically Kevin Durant. Obviously, an interesting week for him uh, with his, his Twitter fiasco the other day. Uh, you, you caught up with him on uh, earlier this week in San Francisco. I thought he said some pretty interesting stuff to you. So, you know, for people that didn't see it, uh, though I doubt few of them are actually going to listen to this. I'm sure everybody has. Uh, kind of run through what he said and, and what your impressions were on, um, on, on what exactly uh, he said and how, he, how he's kind of handling this whole thing. Well, I mean, I feel like it's probably worth it to highlight the context real quick. So, you know, the the whole saga unfolds, a firestorm takes off with him and Twitter and, and the comments he made about the Thunder and Billy Donovan and not liking his teammates and not liking the organization. And it was just him and Russ. And then lo and behold, two days later, <clears throat> excuse me, he is uh, slated to be a, a a guest on a panel to discuss personal branding for athletes, <laughs> which, which I thought was pretty pretty rich. And it's at the TechCrunch conference in San Francisco. I don't mean to cut you off because I just thought this was interesting. Were you were you surprised he got asked about that on stage? I was not, and I don't mind pulling I, I guess, the curtain back I guess maybe a little because bit. Because of the topic is partly. I, I I thought it was pretty surprising that he got asked about it on stage. It's usually not the kind of thing that gets asked at a, a thing like that. I mean, I will I'll share this much like. I had already intended to go to that conference. And as we've texted about since then, I'm clearly not a good friend because I should have mentioned it to you. Um, <laughs> they, <fine. laughs> so I was going to go to this thing because I have been intrigued by Kevin and Silicon Valley. And I kind of felt like, you know, this was the last chance to learn a little bit more about that before the basketball started bouncing and my priorities became X's and O's. Right. So I said, all right, I'm going to go to this thing. Well, then once this whole story had happened, um, you know, I had checked in to see uh, about the possibility of connecting with him to see if he wanted to, to talk about what had happened. So to your question of did I know, did I think he was going to get asked? I only knew because I like it, it kind of played a part in me sitting down with him where the question was, how hard are they going to go at him on the panel? Because they did tell him in advance that they were going to ask oh, okay. him. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so and, I, he, and if you're going to talk about personal branding, it's kind of hard not to ask about it at that point. And I mean, for anybody who saw the, the entire video, you saw that they didn't waste any time. That was the first question. Right, literally the, the first thing they asked, yeah. Like I was standing on the side of the room actually talking to a few of Kevin's people. Uh, you know, his rep from Nike, Chuck Terrell, and his brother, Tony Durant, were there. And we're kind of just sitting there chopping it up and all, you know, hadn't really even engaged yet in the discussion on the stage. 
And then all of a sudden we kind of heard something about Twitter, like, holy smokes, here we go. Right. (laughs) Right. So, uh, no, I mean, that's like you said, you're doing a panel on athletes and branding. So it's, it's pretty disingenuous if you don't ask it. And, and again, like to his credit on the stage. And then when we sat down afterwards, I did think that, uh, for him to take it head on, apologize, uh, not go too far, you know, no excuses about being hacked, uh, nothing like that, that we see so many other athletes do. And, and, and Rachel Nichols from ESPN had made this point, which I agreed with too. Like there's another tactic that he opted not to use that I think is pretty kind of tasteless when guys do it, which is the defensiveness, which is, you know, well, why are you asking me about that? I don't want to, like, you can just dodge it. I don't want to talk right. about it. Right. Um, and he didn't go that route either. So, you know, not a good story for him. He knows that. And, and as he talked about in our interview, I think a, a few social media kind of habit changes are probably in the works. Well, and, and it's interesting because you can even link this a little bit to his, his new shoes that are coming out, right? Where he, he has these these shoes about the, you know, the Warriors going 16-1 in the playoffs and winning finals MVP. And it had all these uh, things that people were saying about him, like crossed off on the soles of the shoes, right? Right, And right. it he he's always been a guy who... You know, I think he even kind of admitted in, in, in the piece he did when he was talking to you, or maybe it was on stage, I don't remember which, that he's always kind of had, uh, he's always had trouble letting stuff go at times and sure, like thinking sure. too much about that stuff. And I, I was curious, are you, are you at all surprised that, that this is kind of how he has, um, I, I know the Twitter thing is different, but even just the shoes and just kind of the way he's generally gone about things. Are you, are you surprised that um, he hasn't been able to kind of let more of that stuff go? Or is that just kind of ingrained in, like, do you think that's, you know, as a guy who knows him, I think, pretty well, especially among media people at this point, do you think, or is that just kind of the way he's always going to be wired, that he's going to always have, you know, a, a bit of a hard time forgetting about that kind of stuff? The funny thing is he talks like like it's an aspiration to let it go and to get to a place where you don't care. In fact, um, there's a, a piece that was in San Francisco Magazine, I don't know if you saw it, where it, it dove pretty deep on the Silicon Valley stuff. And I told Kevin this after our interview, how there's a quote at the end of that piece where Kevin is talking about Silicon Valley rock stars and guys who just kill it in that industry. Mm -hmm. And how he said, these guys don't care what anybody says about them. And he said it, I mean, it was a printed quote, but when I read it, the way it hit me was almost like him saying that was something that he looked up to or, you know, just kind of was trying to get to. Right. At the same time, like you said, all right, well, how hard are you trying to get to that place if you're <laughs> right. pumping out shoes that have insults from haters on the soles? And here's, I mean, the the most interesting thing that he said to me that honestly I don't think came through in written word um, that, that hit me when we talked was that he used this parallel to – the NBA and his professional kind of high profile life being like the playground when he was a kid. And he talked about how in order to maximize the joy that he has in the NBA, he almost tries to shrink this huge, massive world that he lives and works in. And he tries to keep it like it was when he was back in Seat Pleasant, Maryland, which means if you're on the playground and somebody chirps at you, what do you do? You chirp back. And it's right. like a little it's a mechanism that he, he said he uses to keep his life small to keep the joy up, to keep it real, so to speak. But now we're seeing that, I mean, that's a pretty, I just don't think that's something you can do when you reach his level. Because if you clap back at everybody on Twitter, in the end of the day, you're going to say something stupid and you're going to you know, be the one having to deal with the situation like you are here. So I don't know how he reconciles that. Um, but this is something that he's been doing now 
for a couple of years. I mean, if you remember, I guess this would be, this is two summers before free agency. Remember when I went out to OKC and I did that yep. piece yep. with him and his car? Yep. And it was kind of the first time that he got loose in the media when it came to like really just saying what he thought. Yep. And here's something that wasn't specifically in the story, but but you'll you'll certainly understand. I remember at the end of the interview when he finally got rolling and talked about how I don't care what people say and he started dropping SHs and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm laughing because I'm like, now I gotta bleep out the, the interview. <laughs> this is not right. the guy who I'm used to dealing with. Right. Well, you know what sparked him, which is gonna make you laugh because it was so minuscule. I asked him about a column that Chris Sheridan had written uh, for, yeah, that's, that's on his right. website, SheridanHoops.com, at the time, criticizing him for uh, not competing in Team USA. Because remember, he had Nike yes. negotiations. And that it was, was like... That was right after the Paul George injury too, right? Yeah. Like, this yeah. was not exactly Woj going on ESPN and blasting somebody. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, and, right. and I'm not trying to cast aspersions at all, but it was just... It was, it was something... It was a column that I think... Hardcore basketball people read, but the idea... Hard to believe that, Kevin would have actually seen it before you... Yeah, not it. only that, but the second I brought it up, it was clearly on his radar. Right, And it right. clearly was under his skin. Right. And, and and that was kind of the spark for the whole conversation. So, uh, I don't know, you know, going forward, how he's going to adjust things. and Because I think what certainly was genuine was him saying that, that you can pretend with people on Twitter and just kind of do the back and forth. But the problem is, obviously, when you bring other people into the discussion, these are human beings who you have worked with. Billy Donovan doesn't deserve to be, you know, you know what on in public. He just doesn't. You know, your teammates don't really need to hear that you thought they were terrible. So right. you know, I think that's, you know, that's where he's uh, learning the lessons. Yeah. And, and Kevin, you know, I, we both, I mean, you know, Kevin better than me, but I, I've gotten to know him a lot better over the last year. And, and he, he's definitely a guy that, that is sensitive to that kind of stuff. I mean, he's not, I mean, he is a guy that cares what people think. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way either. Like I, not just with, um, not just with, you know, whether it's the media or fans or whatever, but like he, he's not somebody that's, you know, trying to start feuds necessarily with other players or people on his own team. Like he's not, it's, it's, he's not a combative guy. So I'm sure, you know, I'm sure, you know, I saw, he said in your article that he hadn't slept in a couple of days and it, that knowing him a little bit, that doesn't surprise me. Like I, I could right. see that I could see him really, if that really bothered him and knowing that, uh, knowing that that isn't something that he's going to be able to walk away from very easily anytime soon. He does. It, it, things hit him hard. I know that there was a decent amount of eye rolling that I saw on Twitter regarding the, I haven't slept for two days. I haven't eaten for two days. A lot yeah, of people but, he prob- like, oh, but he probably hasn't. That's the thing. And I mean, I can say like, as the guy who talked to the people around him and that was not something that he shared kind of unsolicited. That was something that one of his people had mentioned to me and, and and I guess this, you know this might sound melodramatic, but I also think it's real. You know the way it was put to me was that if you had kind of a category of of experiences that left Kevin Durant feeling a maximum level of stress and anxiety, that basically losing the 2012 Finals, making the decision to leave the Thunder and go to the Warriors last summer, right, and then this, like that's your top three, right, um, in the NBA, in the NBA life. And you know I do think it was real. You could you can talk all day if you want to about what that says about him and, and his level of sensitivity, but it's, it is what it is. He, he was kind of effed up by this the same way that he was last summer when, when, you know, he feels great about the Warriors choice now, but when the whole world was coming down on him, I think he certainly questioned what he had done. And he's talked about how he didn't get out of bed and, and thought somebody was going to run him over. Uh, right. So, you know, he takes things pretty heavy. 
Well, and, and look, I think we've all probably at some point in our lives said the wrong thing to the wrong person, even, you know, said something we didn't mean to, to somebody and, you know, we got back to somebody. I mean, it's kind of a natural thing. And, and I, I think I know, I know it's happened to me once or twice and I've felt really bad about it when it's happened. Don't worry. I forgave you. Well, <laughs> it didn't happen with you, but, uh, but, but, you know, it's like, it's a natural thing for somebody to feel really bad about. And that's, that's not when it's a, um, you know, a certainly a, as public a thing as this and, and having the entire world then talk about it openly for days. I mean, I, I can't, you know, I, I can't really imagine being in that spot personally. I mean, I think it's, uh, I, I can, you know, I, I, I mean, I know people, I saw the same high rolling that you did. And I, I mean, I think if you're, if you're any kind of a decent person, uh, I think you would feel pretty awful. Even if, even if you meant everything you said, if you, if that gets out publicly, um, and, and you see people that, you know, that, you, you know, you were, you worked with and you know, pretty well, uh, see that stuff, whether you believe it or not, it's got to hurt a lot. Well, and I don't mean to go too deep with this, but I think part of the point you're making is let's not kid ourselves, not just NBA, just life in general, people, relationships, like you interact with people all the time where you might at the end of the day, like them, but you're not going to ever share the specifics of what you actually think of them. Right. You, you know what I mean? Like, that's the danger zone he got into. Like, whoa, what are you? What are you doing? This is getting shared on Twitter. Right. That deep down, even though you said so many nice things about Billy Donovan, that apparently you didn't think that was a great fit. Right. And then, you know, like I said in the column too, the only silver lining here, because like, can you imagine this story if his tweets were just shots fired at Russ? Like yeah. that was. The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I guess it wasn't just Russ. <laughs> it wasn't Russ at all. Well, like right, if you read right, the tweets, all, right? All he said, right? He was only saying nice things about Russ, right? I mean, <laughs> and that's the other thing that the other guy's name. Right? Imagine if, really- he, if I, imagine if he'd said, "My God, I couldn't take play." You know, he couldn't take play with Russ anymore. I mean, that's then, what I'm saying. Oh my God! Right. Then the world really would have ended. Well, then you know, we thought last year's noise was loud about Kevin and Russ during the season. <laughs> right. right. You know, this this is different. I mean, I also do think Billy Donovan's name. Is, is front and center because his name got typed. Right. Um, I feel ba- a little bad for Sam Presti. I think he does yes. a, a really, really good job in OKC and, and did, you know, a fantastic job putting a team around Kevin when he was there. And I just, you know, I, I tend to, you know, it's reasonable people can disagree. Like I just heard Daryl Morey say on, on Howard Beck's podcast. And I don't agree with Kevin at all that he didn't have help in OKC. They pushed the Warriors to the limit in the conference finals. And oh look, we we really I mean, close to yeah, pulling it off. We watched that whole series. That that yeah. I still think. I mean, even as great as the finals were after that, I still think that might be the best seven game series I've ever seen from start yeah. to finish. And I I, I mean I, I I know we both left that series. I know at least I did, and I think you did, thinking there's no way Kevin's leaving now. And oh, yeah. this looks like the the next great rivalry in the NBA. Like even more than Warriors Cavs, it looked like Warriors Thunder was gonna be a four or five year slug fest for the top of the Western Conference and I mean, I was really excited about it. I thought I had the chance to be, you know, one of the all-time great rivalries. And then, you know, three or four weeks later, that was all up in smoke. And, but part of that is having an elite defense with a roster full of guys who defend the heck out of the ball and having, you know, young bigs and, and Steven Adams and Ennis Cantor who are coming along and, and becoming part of your core. Um, you know, I just think the narrative that it was him and Russ is pretty off base. Yeah, well, and it's it's interesting you say all that because I know uh, you know this is coming out on Friday, it's first day of training camp for the Warriors, and I know you're going uh, to be with the the Thunder a little bit after that. And you know, are are you? I imagine this is this is going to be at least part of what you talk about. I know Ennis Canner said some stuff, and you know, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of the people there will put on a straight face.
face about it, but I'm I'm sure you're curious to see what the what the reaction is there from you know a guy that clearly even though he did leave he has a lot of long relationships there, Kevin, and and uh, you know it was obviously tough when he left, and I, I'm sure this you know I'm sure this I'm sure this was a, a pretty rough day to, to hear a lot of that stuff from him from people there. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I mean, the the one missing component in the media right now is that uh, as entertaining as it is to have Ennis Cantor be your spokesman because Ennis cracks me up. You know, he did some radio stuff pushing back on Kevin and his comments. And to this point, he's been the only OKC person kind of speaking on it. Uh, you know, I know Russ is not going to say much, but it will right. be interesting. And Sam, I know Sam is talking tomorrow, and we both know he's not going to say anything. Right. So, you know, that, that part will be interesting. And that's not a bad, and that's not a criticism of Sam. It's just, you know, right. he's not going to, you know, he's not going to take a shot at anybody. That's all. Well, and that's the contrast that, that in terms of the PR optics make Kevin look even worse because right. <laughs> when he, right. when he left, you know, the Thunder put out a release thanking him for his time. Um, you know, they've chosen to take the high road, but I know there were certainly reports that, that he was upset and thought that the Thunder organization should have done something to quell their fans anger when he came back to OKC for the first time but you know that's a pretty tough task to pull off and, and you know by and large you know they they just they've stayed out of the public fray with their comments and uh again the rust thing even if he says nothing he's one of those guys whose face can give you a, a thousand words <laughs> so you know I'm, I'm you know dying to see how he's looking well and, and let's let's talk about the thunder let's move on from this and talk about them a little bit um obviously you know sam pulled off a, a brilliant deal um getting paul george you know, really, really, I think taking a lot of pressure off of what was going to be, a, I think, a very volatile situation this summer. Uh, you know, you make that trade on June 30th, just hours before free agency started. And, and I mean, I had asked Russ at his MVP, uh, at, at, right after winning the MVP award at his press conference earlier that week. You know, he'd spent 15 minutes on stage talking about how great Oklahoma City was. And I asked him, are you going to sign an extension here? And he acted like he'd never even knew that he could sign an extension later that week, which was obviously disingenuous. And I, I talked to a lot of people around the league who did not think he was going to sign it. And that was going to leave the Thunder in a really interesting spot because, you know, it's hard to believe they could go into a, a year with Russ in a walk year with a team that was likely probably going to finish with somewhere in the mid forties and wins again. Um, you know, thinking that it was, they had a good chance of keeping him long-term if he wasn't going to sign that extension. And that would maybe open up the idea of, well, do they trade Russ uh, with a year left on his contract and, and blow things up? Like what happens? And, you know, getting, getting Paul George uh, in that trade, you know, out of nowhere, really, um, you know, and you were on top of that Paul George story as much as anybody you know, leading up to the trade. I mean, I don't think anybody really expected him to wind up in a place like OKC. Uh, but, you know, the fact they get that trade, that trade done, it did kind of, you know, erase that pressure because now you've got both those guys on the same timeline. And even if Russ wanted to say, hey, I'm not going to sign this extension, when it doesn't look like he's going to, um, at least you've got both of them on the same on the same contract. If they both leave, you can kind of shrug your shoulders and say, if you're Sam Preston, say, hey, we literally did everything we could do to keep these guys. And if they don't want to stay, there's not much I can do. Um, so with all that said, as a backdrop, um, you know, what what are you what are you curious to see about this Thunder team this season? And, and how do you think that that Paul George Russell Westbrook partnership is going to play out? I mean, I think they're going to be fantastic. I, it's funny, the longer I've thought about this, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and you and I have talked about the way you just kind of framed the, the whole Russ-Paul conversation. My only kind of updated thought, I guess, is there is part of me now wondering if, you know, this, it's, it's, if you're Sam Presti and Russ doesn't sign the extension, um, sure, you can go ahead and say, we want to see this thing through. We want to see what Russ and Paul can do together in the playoffs. And then from that kind of a 
database or, you know, give them a chance to learn what they are together. And then they make their decision next summer. There are people in the league who are looking at this and saying, no, 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 no. If Russ is not giving you an indication one way or the other by December, by January, then you better start thinking about moving him because, you know, it is very tough to think about the prospect of just walk, you know, seeing both those guys leave in free agency and getting nothing for them. You know, as the Thunder, if they were going to turn the new page at that point and, and be a new kind of iteration of what they are, I mean, to get some picks back and get something to help with that core would be a whole lot better than losing it for nothing. That's the, the, the really tricky part here. Um, you know, like you said, if I had to handicap it, I don't think Russ is going to sign it. Uh, I just wonder, since we have seen Sam Presti act quickly and proactively on James Harden back in 2012, we've seen him let the situation play out with Kevin, but get burned. Right. Um, you know, where is his head at as he looks at these next couple of months? I just think to me, I mean, I, I think I think it would have been a lot more inexcusable to not trade him and let him go if he didn't sign the extension and you didn't make the Paul George trade, right? Because I guess I guess if behind the scenes they, they say to you flat out, we're both going to leave, you know, and you should, you know, we're not re-signing, I, I, I guess then you'd look at trading them. But look, I think to me – you know, I think I, I, I think the Thunder are probably going to be in the 4-5 matchup in the first round. And, you know, probably I think the way I have it right now, they, they probably play Minnesota in the first round. Probably be a great series. And then, you know, whether they win or not, they, they play the Thunder. They most likely play the Warriors in the second round. They probably lose. And then, then you figure out what you're going to do with those guys. But, I mean, are you really going to... Are you really going to give up both trade both of those guys and and blow it up in January or February when those guys both have a couple months left on their deal? I mean, you could get you could get some stuff back for them. I, I would think they'd probably get more than what the than what the Thunder got for uh, or what the Thunder gave up for Paul George in the first place. But I think when you have both of those guys, at the very worst, if you if those guys do leave, at least you you got the Oladipo contract off your books. You have everything clear. You you play it out. You you try to sign them both, and you say, all right, look, we can we can start fresh now. I just think you know having both those guys there. I mean, I, I just think it's going to be really hard. You know, when you could see like it's it's not like I think you can make a pretty you could draw a pretty clear line to this team making say the the Western Conference Finals, and I would think. I would sure. think even if you're not sure they're going to stay, if you at least get that far and you can say to them, look, we got this young team, we can bring you both back, we've got the ability to do different things now, um, you know, we've got a team that can contend, you know, I feel like that's, that's got to be a better option than whatever. Because, like, we've seen for guys with only a couple months left on their deal or even with a year left on their deal, it's been hard for teams to get stuff from anybody for a while now. And I just – it's hard for me to see how they're going to really get a king's ransom for those guys when – um, people are at that point probably going to think they're going to have certain destinations in mind. And um, the Warriors are still going to be this monolith hanging over the league. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, I think the, the tricky part for Sam is that, like you said a minute ago, in the absence of like a clear message, hey, I'm leaving this summer. Right. Then the other problem is that one situation is tied to the other. If you, if you get, a, and I'm not sure from Russ, and then you proactively decide to move him, well, you've just, you just, Shot yourself in the foot with Paul, and you know right. for a fact that he is now gone. Then you got him. You either got to me. You got to trade him both or trade neither at that point. Like, right, but you're not getting anything for Paul in particular at right. this point with right. the Lakers narrative. Uh, you know, as kind of an aside, I talked to somebody the other day about this. You know, the, the Cavs obviously are a fascinating situation, and I was kind of joking about how you know, watch Paul George going to get sent to Cleveland in February. You know, from the Thunder is is a way to. Last ditch effort for them to hold on to LeBron, you right? Know, with Sam, with Sam trying to get something in return, right? But you know, you're right. Um, chances are 
we probably see these guys both in Thunder jerseys, you know, throughout the rest of the season and we'll go from there. But I can't remember a season like this one, you know, as we go into it with these kinds of subplots. Like, you know, listen, you know, Peter Vesey has been doing this a long time and he's writing for Patreon now. He comes out and says 100% LeBron is going to the Lakers and possibly with, with Russ and Paul George coming with them. I mean, the different potential scenarios where these guys are going to land and the, the, the ripple effect from there and just all the moving parts and the GMs who are going to have to make decisions based on, you know, not knowing fact from fiction is it's pretty compelling stuff. No, I mean, you, you look around the league and, you know, this summer we had, you know, six or seven all-star caliber players. I think it was six all-stars got moved and, and Chris Paul is an all-star who just didn't make the team last year. So I think it was seven all-stars that changed teams. Um, next summer you have LeBron hanging out there as a potential uh, free agent that could go somewhere. Russ and Paul George. I mean, there's three of the top 15 players in the league who could all change teams. Uh, two of them playing on the same team. Um, you know, you've got the whole situation in Boston now with Kyrie there. I mean, it really, it really is remarkable that the league um, has this much, you know, and Chris Paul will be a free agent too. Like, you know, everyone's just assuming yeah. he's probably going to stay in Houston, but yeah. you know, I don't think that's necessarily a certainty. I mean, I don't, you know, I, Daryl Morey is, is wasn't I'm sure I know Daryl is is a guy who's willing to take a risk and you know whether he knew he was gonna keep him there long term or not I'm sure he knew he could get one year with Chris Paul and then figure it out I'm sure he took right. it so um you know it, it's gonna be really fascinating to see how all these different scenarios play out you've got DeMarcus Cousins will be a free agent if he decides to leave does Anthony Davis go on the block next summer I mean there's there's really just a a a, a a long series of, of guys that are, that are on the market now. And that's the thing, like the way, the way the league has evolved to where all these guys are on shorter contracts. Now the cycles for these guys to potentially change teams has really sped up and it, it's helped to create this, what we've got now, this never ending cycle of intrigue and possibilities of guys moving, which is why the summer for us keeps getting shorter and shorter and shorter every summer. Yep. It does. And I don't blame these guys for doing it though. Cause once the money reached the kind of level that it's at now, if you just think of if you're in their shoes, look at it. Okay, used to be give me the long term contract because I could get hurt, and that is still a consideration. But you know who are we kidding? If if you're a superstar and your starting salary is somewhere in the thirty million dollar range, right? You, know, you should be able to live on that for the rest of your life if you just right. play one year. And all these guys uh, who are at that level are getting big shoe deals that are eight figures too. So they're right. So it's just there's very little incentive to do the long-term deals because you're, you know, you keep control on your side of the ledger and you get to, to kind of play that GM role. I mean, the GMs in some of these instances are playing complementary roles, just trying to facilitate what the players want to do and the good ones, you know, and, and you mentioned Daryl, I think he's doing a great job. Um, you know, guys like that find a, a way to kind of, to be the, uh, the lubricant, if you will, and, and make it happen. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st slash newsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash post-up newsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA.
Yeah, no, I think that I think that's definitely true. Um, it, it's gonna, it, you know, it'll it makes things interesting for us if it does lead to uh, maybe less vacation days and and, and less sleep. Uh, but I'll oh, stop uh, your whining. I was watching Snapchat. You were just in Spain for like a month. Uh, uh, ten, <laughs> ten, day, ten days, and I, and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote about Kyrie on the plane. There. You did write a lot. Kyrie. Yeah, that's and true. I wrote about Kyrie while I was there. So, but look, more importantly, when you were flying, did the did the Earth look flat around it? I just can't. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's talk about let's talk about Kyrie. Uh, okay. I, I find him fascinating. Here's a guy that I think it's fair to say, and Joe Varden, our friend who does a great job covering the Cavs, has articulated this really well. I think, and I I, I thought this to be true just watching him. Kyrie's a guy that wants to be heard. Right? He was a guy that you know, if you're around the Cavs at all, you know that LeBron is the the, the guy that the universe rotates around there, which totally makes sense. He's one of the probably three or four greatest players of all time, if not higher than that. So, and he's a socially conscious guy and he, he, he's got a big reach. And if he says something, it matters. So I totally understand that. But Kyrie was a guy who wanted his opinion to be heard on, uh, you know, if there's a, a Black Lives Matter question or a uh, politics question or that kind of stuff. Like he clearly was a guy who wanted to, to have more of a voice and have people pay attention to what he was saying. And that's what I thought was fascinating about kind of the way he's handled this beginning of his time in Boston, where he goes on first take earlier this week and seems genuinely dumbfounded that people want to ask him about LeBron or about becoming the face of his own team or why he wanted to leave Cleveland. And I was just curious, like, do you, you know, do you think this could become a situation long term where, um, where Kyrie looks at this and maybe this is a case of a guy, you know, maybe getting a little more than, or I shouldn't say that, maybe maybe being careful in sure of what you wish for because he could now be in a situation where he gets all the things he thought he wanted and maybe it's not all that he thought it was cracking up to. It's possible. I mean, but I, I love their roster and I love where they're at. And, oh, and I, don't mean, Ainge. I, don't, I don't necessarily mean from a, from a win-loss perspective. I mean, like, it, it's one thing to want to be the guy that everybody needs to hear from on every op, on every topic, you know, when you're not doing it. But maybe you know once you yeah once I don't you are think, the, once listen, you are the I face not, of the team does that maybe realize that it, it was a little better when you know people didn't need to know every thought I had at all times I would I would be very surprised to your question if he ever evolved into like and forget about his reach and how far it might go right but if he even handled himself anywhere nearly in a similar way that LeBron has uh, that would surprise me I no I don't think he's going to have that kind of style and, and I find it somewhat funny because. I mean, listen, as you know, at our place, Jeff Zilgit is around the Cavs a whole lot more than I am. Yep. And he has a very good relationship with Kyrie. Both those guys. Yeah. And He's with LeBron, for sure. With both those guys in the league. Yeah. Um, and, and they've been good to him. And, and But from my kind of, you know, outsider standpoint, the times I've dealt with Kyrie, like what comes to mind, I've covered him multiple summers at Team USA. There was a funny moment um, during the Olympics where he – Essentially, like as you know, there's a mix zone when you come off the floor after a game, and there's kind of a little metal barricade up that separates the the media from the players who are coming by. But each player has stations, and so there's a little placard that says where each player is going to go. Well, on a pretty routine basis, Kyrie would not stop at his station, and he would just keep going. And <laughs> NBA and NBA PR didn't love this, and they would try to talk him into making sure that he did his media. And different instances, whether it was post-game or practice, where he didn't seem like a guy who was that eager to be heard. Like, it wasn't – there are right. players who sit there like, come, please talk to me. That's how they look. Right. You know, um, and he's never struck me as that. In fact, there was one time when I was guilty of, like, 
I saw him blow by his station and I, I laughed one of those laughs that you think is only in your head, but right. then, it, but it wasn't. And he saw me and he kind of grinned and he was like, it ain't changing. It ain't going to change. And it, it was like, fine, but it, this is not a guy who was sitting there saying, you know, I, I want to be heard. Right. Um, so we'll see. You know what I mean? He's, he's, he's obviously a very thoughtful guy and a philosophical guy and a somewhat reclusive guy, I think publicly. So those, you know, those qualities, I don't know what they manifest themselves into. I don't know how he's going to evolve on that front, but no, I don't, you know, I mean, he'll be heard from more and he's going to have a bigger crowd at his locker um, there than he did in Cleveland, but they've got other guys on that team. You know what I mean? Gordon Hayward is, is not uh, a LeBron James by any stretch, but he's going to have a lot of attention. Al Horford's been doing this a long time is a great quote. So I don't think it's going to be, you know, to me, it's like just, LeBron. Yeah, no, I agree with that too. I mean, it, but I, I just think when you, to me, that whole flat Earth thing is, I mean, which you joked about before. I thought that was, I mean, he clearly was enjoying the attention he got from that, and the fact right. that everybody was looking at him and talking to him about it. And you know, look, whether it was he just wanted his own team or to get out of LeBron's shadow, whatever it is, he clearly, he clearly wanted to have the spotlight on him. And you know, there are he's the first guy that ever was like, you know what, I'm good with playing with LeBron. I got to get myself somewhere else. And I, I, I just, yeah. I think that whole, you know, it's just another of what I think are going to be a lot of really fascinating subplots of this season, because, you know, like I'm going to be at that first game in, in Cleveland, you know, Cavs Celtics on opening night. And that's the only time it goes back to Cleveland all year. And it's going to be utterly fascinating to watch because, you know, you know, people for all for the, sure. for all the stuff that happened with Russ and, and, and KD last year, you know, LeBron and Kyrie both, I mean, people are going to be watching every second that they're on the court this year. And, you know, on top of that, there's a decent chance that they're going to be playing in the Eastern Conference Finals, which unlike the Thunder and the Warriors, you know, that, that'll that be a matchup that, you know, will we'll go five or six games at least. And, and people will see those guys in a playoff setting, which will be something that, you know, for as crazy as the Warrior-Thunder games were last year, they weren't even remotely competitive. Those two teams, while I think the Cavs are still significantly better, um, they're going to be a heck of a lot closer than the Thunder and Warriors were. I would agree. At the risk of taking it down a whole other road, you you have me curious because I don't think we've talked about this off the air. Where do you fall on the? I mean, at this point, given all the, you know, everything you know about both teams, health and and whatnot. I mean, who's the better team right now, Cavs or Celtics? Well, to me, I actually think the Cavs are pretty significantly better. Um, I, I'm not sure if the, the Celtics really got better this summer. Now, I think I think long term they definitely have a higher ceiling. Um, but I, I think you look at a team where I mean, look. Do I think Kyrie Irving is a more talented player than Isaiah Thomas? Yes. But has Kyrie Irving ever had a season like Isaiah Thomas did last year? No, he hasn't. And Kyrie's also like Isaiah Thomas, you know, we know he had the issues with his hip that he's obviously dealing with now, but he's a guy that has had a lot of injury issues. And if he misses a chunk of time, they could be in some trouble. Obviously getting Gordon Hayward was a huge pickup. It was a great move for them, but they don't really have a shooting guard on the roster. They traded Avery Bradley to get Marcus Morris. Um, you know, they're probably going to start, I think, Marcus Smart. Maybe they start uh, Jalen Brown at, at shooting guard. But they're going to be trying to get big minutes out of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Uh, Jalen Brown barely played last year. Jason Tatum's a rookie. Um, and the other thing that people I don't think have talked about at all is they really have no bigs at all. Like, if Al Horford's had a couple season-ending injuries with his shoulder, if, if Al Horford has any kind of injury, the only other big on their roster is Aaron Baines. Then they have right. you know, this guy, Daniel Tice from Germany, who nobody's ever seen play in the States. I mean, I think he can maybe be a, you know, an energy guy off the bench. But, I mean, they, they have some – they have a lot of talent. And I think long-term, you look at them, and they're clearly set up to be very good for a long time. They still have that uh, – even though they traded the Nets pick, they still have the either the Laker pick this year or the Sixers uh, or Kings pick next year. I mean, they have – 
they have some some pieces to continue to get better. Um, and Kyrie is young, and 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 Gordon Hayward's going into his prime. I mean, those guys are are going to get better, I think. But um, I, I still think Cleveland with LeBron, you know, adding Jay Crowder, they they are deeper this year. Um, you know, I, I obviously Isaiah is a question mark, but I think if if he gets back even at, at any point during the regular season, I think they're clearly the better team. And to me, I, I think it's more likely that one of that one of those two teams at least doesn't finish inside the top two in the East in the regular season. Now they might end up being the best two teams in the playoffs, but I think the I think the Celtics are gonna have a lot of growing pains and a lot of things to try to figure out. And I I could see Cleveland being like that that 2010 Celtics team that made the finals that really just didn't care at all during the regular season and just tried to get there. Now, you know, if LeBron decides he wants to win MVP, maybe maybe the Cavs win 55 games or so and, and he really tries to win another MVP this year. I could definitely see that. Um, right. Or they could just take their foot off the gas. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have kind of anointed them as the top two teams in the East. I still think it's likely that at the end of the day, they're the two teams that are in the Western, in the Eastern Conference Finals in, in May. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think Cleveland's ahead of Boston, and, and I definitely think that both could have a little more interesting regular seasons in the East than people think. Well, a lot to process there and all good analysis. The, the last thing that you made me think of that I hadn't really pondered is MVP races – wind up having as much to do with narrative and storylines and context as they do what a guy does because it's a five-man game and and you know Russell Westbrook not having Kevin Durant open the door for the monster season that he had um the idea of LeBron getting another MVP would not shock me at all this feels like the perfect kind of year with a young star like Kyrie sending this message to the world that I don't need this guy maybe he's not that great and you know the Warriors dominating every conversation that's basketball related Seems like the timing could be perfect for LeBron to, to go out and do what he does and and, and get one more. Uh, more is it Maurice Podoloff? Is that MVP? Yes, yes. I believe yes. it. Look, it wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, look, like I, I mean, I think it's possible they just start him at point guard too. I mean, Isaiah yeah. Thomas is going to be ready for a while. Just hey, we've got Jay Crowder and J.R. Smith. Where LeBron handles the ball anyway, let's just have him bring the ball up. And if right. he if he's running point and averaging eight or nine assists a game. I mean, I could easily see them winning 55 games if LeBron wants them to. And if they do, then, you know, I think he's got a really good chance to win MVP because people are going to look at that as, as kind of a lifetime achievement award. You know, I'm not saying he wouldn't deserve it, but like, you know, that like if, if there's going to be a tiebreaker, like you said, the narrative might be, hey, he should have won, you know, in 2011. He should have maybe won a couple other times. He didn't win. He if it's if it's close, maybe the tiebreaker is, hey, this guy's getting towards the end of his, you know, kind of towards the end of his career. Sure. This might be his last shot at one. Well, not only that, I mean, what if Isaiah's not coming back until late in the regular season? And, right. And they still maybe they still somehow pull off the number one seed. You right. Know what I mean? like, exactly. That's what that I mean. If they win 55 games and Isaiah plays 25 and LeBron is great. I think, right. like you said, I mean, really, I think Russell, I thought Russell Westbrook won the MVP because of his, I, I would have voted for him. I think the best case was because of his play in the clutch last year. But I mean, let's be honest, the reason he won MVP more than anything else is because he averaged a triple double for the season. I mean, that's just kind of the way that stuff works. And with one, I mean, one asterisk, you and I have talked about this before. I mean, that now I'm forgetting the record, but the Thunder, he had to have the Thunder's record. Oh, you know, he doubles. did. No, he did. I agree. Meaning just, they had they had like a 700-plus winning percentage, if not 800, Yeah, no, I when agree. he got a triple-double. I just meant, to me, the best case was he was he had the best clutch season, I think, in NBA history last year. And that, right. that, that, to me, was a better case. But the better narrative was the triple-double thing. I'm just saying, yeah. to, you, to your point, like – LeBron carrying a Cavs team with a bunch of injury, you know, with, with, you know, they're the, the guy that traded for Kyrie injured and, you know, leading them to the top record in the Western conference and, you know, all the, our Easter conference, all that stuff. 
that that's a pretty strong narrative, especially in a in a year when now Russ is playing with Paul George and James Harden's playing with Chris Paul and you know Kevin Durant, uh, who I think is going to have a chance maybe to win yeah. MVP, is on a super team. I mean, to me, I think everybody you, else has got help. Right. You look at you look at Giannis, you look at Kawhi, and you look at LeBron, and I think all those all three of those guys are on are kind of by their on their own. And if they win more games than people expect, like say the Spurs finish second in the West again, or the Cavs, you know, win 55 games in the East, or the, let's say the Bucks win 50 games and maybe finish second or third in the East. You know, if one of those kind of things happens, those three guys I think are really well positioned narrative wise to kind of, to latch onto that award and, and, and grab a hold of it. I agree. I'm with you. Uh, one more thing before we go, uh, you know, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand, you know, uh, we're just, I just mentioned Kawhi with the Spurs and, um, you know, one thing that's kind of flown on the radar is, you know, the Spurs didn't do much this summer. And a lot of people, including me, thought when Pau Gasol opted out of his contract that they were going to really be able to go get a guy like Chris Paul or they really thought they had a chance to. Well, then Chris obviously goes to the Rockets before the season even starts or before free agency even starts. Uh, they end up bringing back Pau on uh, a longer term deal. They bring back Patty Mills. Uh, you know, they didn't really make any big moves. And one of the things they didn't do was trade the Marcus Aldridge, who, you know, for probably the better part of 18 months, uh, has been a guy that has been at different times disgruntled with the situation in San Antonio. Um, you know, are you, do you think that that storyline and that, you know, the, what DeMarcus's happiness level is, is that something you think that's going to keep cropping up throughout the season, especially if, you know, maybe the Spurs finally aren't quite as good as they have been in the past? I don't, I don't know what to predict. I don't know how to handicap it. I have this vision in my mind of, you know, Greg Popovich, after the story circulated uh, a couple of months ago that LaMarcus was unhappy and that the thrust of trade talks regarding him were, were kind of his discontent that, you know, that once Pop and the Spurs saw that the, the trade proposals and, you know, available to them were not all that great. He just walked over to LaMarcus and waved his hand like Star Wars fashion and said, you are fine. Just, just, you're not upset. You're fine. Let's go play basketball. And, and I don't know if it's going to work, but I the Spurs have this amazing ability as a, an organization, as a culture, that even when they have kind of little potential controversies, they just seem to disappear. I don't know, you know, maybe this one pops up again. I mean, I I reported on it, wrote about it at the time, and, and you know, and you know, if you want to talk about a couple of months ago, I still feel confident, very confident, saying he was not in a great place mentally coming off of the playoffs, and right. let's not forget. You know, it's Pop is a tough coach, and he sat there in press conferences, essentially saying Lamarcus didn't get the job done, and then you know they had to have more from him, and he wasn't aggressive enough when Kawhi was hurt, and he was, you know, he aired him out a bit publicly, and and I don't think that sat well with Lamarcus. I think he was scapegoated a little bit in his mind, and and it, I think it left him in a bad place. But the thing now is that you see the, you know, I know I sound like I've been covering the league longer than I have, but the longer <laughs> you cover the league. You keep learning, like, man, like the, just the saying, life comes at you fast. Like, LaMarcus Aldridge, players of his age, they go from coveted all-star to, like, almost untradeable pretty quickly. You know what I mean? And, and that, I think, is partly what's going on here is that, you know, LaMarcus three years ago is a guy who's still really moving the needle for a lot of different teams in terms of possible trades. And now I don't think that's the case. And so it leaves both sides in a somewhat awkward position. But again, because it's the Spurs, they, you know, they find a way of either masking that or, or finding a way to heal it. And you know, I'm curious to see how they look this year. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is that LaMarcus, I think, falls into the same category as a lot of these bigs. Even though he's not quite thought of as a center, 
I mean, he's he's like a lot of these offense first bigs that aren't, you know, Marks is underrated, I think, defensively, but still isn't a defensive force, particularly as a rim protector. And um, uh, those guys we've seen around the league, you know, not only is he getting into his 30s and therefore, you know, like you said, kind of aging out of being that coveted all-star type guy. Those guys are also guys that, that don't have a lot of value right now. I mean, teams are looking for guys that can really space the floor um, or really create or really protect the rim uh, as bigs. And, you know, LaMarcus is a, is a really good mid-range shooter who isn't quite a three-point shooter consistently, um, isn't a guy that's going to, like, put the ball on the floor and create in the pick and roll or anything, and he's not a, a dominant defensive figure. So he, he kind of is in the middle on a couple of those. So it, it, it does leave them in a situation where even if he is disgruntled, maybe wants to leave, you know, it puts him in a in a situation where, you know, he, he isn't quite the coveted player he was when he signed there in 2015. And it also makes me wonder, you know, even if he isn't thrilled there, you know, I don't see him getting $23 million in 18, 19 from somebody else. And it makes me wonder, does he even opt into his contract next season? Which I think when San Antonio signed him, I think they were they were thinking, all right, we've got this guy for sure for three years, and then we'll see what happens after that. Right. Yeah, I can see that too. I mean, it's... The you know getting frustrated in the wake of a playoff challenge and a disappointing end to your season is one thing, but you know you gets a couple of months to chew on it, and and the grass is always greener. Thoughts start crossing your mind. I mean, they they still are winning a ton of basketball games in San Antonio, and you know with Kawhi healthy again, and even though they didn't make any big splashes in the off season other than the moves that you mentioned, you know there's still going to be a, a damn good team that's going to be in the top four without you know without question. So we'll see. I just culturally for that group um they don't have the joyful dynamic that the warriors do and that they've really taken you know and, and had such a big part of their success but the spurs have had a chemistry i think and and a, and a certain professional environment that i do think conceivably is compromised if a guy is miserable and so i, I think lamarcus's happiness level is going to matter and uh, only he knows where he's at going into the year yeah, no, it's going to be really, uh, it's going to be really interesting to uh, to see what happens. So, Sam, thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. Um, you know, before you go, though, just let the people know uh, where they could follow you on Twitter, and uh, you know, I guess if there's anything you got interesting coming up, you want people to to get a preview of, um, you know, let them know. Twitter at Sam underscore Amick A M I C K. Uh, other than that, just preseason stuff. Like we mentioned, I'll be going to OKC and and certainly writing about the new Paul George run to Westbrook dynamic and all their stuff and then a whole lot of Warriors coverage you know down the road a little bit uh be joining the Warriors in China for their preseason trips so my debut uh footing on on the Asian soil which I'm looking forward to yeah it should be cool so enjoy that and uh thanks for stopping by and I'll talk to you soon thanks again to Sam for coming on the podcast you can find me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA and both on WashingtonPost.com and in the pages of the newspaper please find the podcast on iTunes Stitcher wherever else you can get it and give us a five-star rating and review helpful and appreciated. Also go check out some of our other cool podcasts like Constitutional, Can You Do That, and the Fantasy Football Beat. Thanks to Glenn Yoder and the Western States for providing the theme music for the podcast. Be sure to go check out their work online. It's all terrific. Really enjoy it and you should definitely go check it out for yourself. Uh, Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with the beginning of our preview series of the Atlantic Division and we'll talk to you all then.